podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us tonight on a Monday. Say tonight. We're recording at night. We always record on Sunday night uh, for a Monday episode, so if you're listening to this on Monday... Today is a huge, 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 huge and exciting day. Why would that be? We'll talk about that in just a second. I know both of my co-hosts are very, very excited for Monday. That would be the illustrious and uh, an amazing JSJ, Jamie Steyer Johnson. That's incredible. Do you have a list of adjectives for me? Because I feel like you keep pulling out good ones. It's impressive. I mean, I, I, I write for a living. That's so. That's valid. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, our other host. Fuck other guy. Host. <laughs> like, the wonderful and amazing JSJ and that other guy. Look, I understand, Philip, that you're still upset about what the Jayhawks did to your Cowboys yesterday or Saturday. Hold on. Hold on. So um, if you don't follow me on Twitter, that's okay. Uh, yes, I do. I never push out my person. No, 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 I don't mean you. Oh. I mean to the listeners in okay. general. <laughs> I was like, wait, yes, I do. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to, you can hear the sound effect. So uh, <laughs> this summer, I got a bottle of the Jay uh, Riger, uh, Rock Chalk Rye. Andy was so kind enough to get it uh, sent to me. And I said, I'm going to open this under two uh, situations, either in case of emergency or if Kansas reaches a bowl eligibility. Well, you know what? Both Those happen. two things happen the exact same time. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so bottoms up. Ah, that's good. That burns well. Uh, it's a good bottle of whiskey. I love the bottle. The bottle's freaking awesome. Anyways, yes, we will get to Kansas and Oklahoma State and every other game, Kansas State pain, Oklahoma pain. West Virginia pain. We will we will talk about lots of teams' pain. Uh, we will also have a guest popping in for a little bit. Our good friend Adam Eaton, one of the hosts of Sons of UCF, will pop in, talk a little UCF and a little UCF Tulane, a big game this coming Saturday in which Late Kick with Josh Pate will be going to and doing their live show from this weekend. Very nice. But as I said off the top, it's <clears throat> my mouth all tingly. Today is a big day. Monday is a huge day. Why is it a huge day? Well, unless your head is buried in the sand or you don't follow John Rosti and get ready for a lot of Heath Ledger as the Joker comments on the social medias, the Bird app specifically on Monday. College basketball is back, baby. College basketball, men's and women's, get underway today. All 10 Big 12 men's teams will be playing their first game of the season on Monday. Seven of the 10 women's teams will be playing their first game there's an 11 a.m. game for the men. Baylor will be underway uh, on ESPN+. Plus. The women have a game, Iowa State, at 11 a.m. on, I believe, ESPN+, Plus as well. So if you think that I won't have the TV in my office that sits just across from it uh, tuned into ESPN+, Plus so that I can watch men's and women's Big 12 basketball all day. Philip, <laughs> do you have the varsity yet? I think it's on my phone. 
that's how you're going to listen to me. Exactly. You'll have you'll have Jamie on the university app listening to the audio while you are watching the men for Baylor on ESPN Plus. I do have it. I do have it. I think that's the move. That is okay, definitely. So I'll have move. Baylor on the TV and Jamie in my ear at eleven o'clock on a Monday. What could possibly be better for the, for those who have been demanding more of whatever it is that I do? I've got great news. <laughs> it's JSJ herself. Uh, I mean, look, I know you guys are excited. Jamie, how how stoked are you to be back behind the mic? Oh, for, my God. Uh... Well, okay. So, like, honestly, part of what's so exciting is that I wasn't sure what this season would look like for me. Like, I, I started a new job four months ago, and my boss rocks. And so, basically, as long as I can, like, mostly fit 40 hours into a week she doesn't really care when when that happens so i still get to cover most of iowa state's games i maybe miss like half a dozen this year as far as the schedule looks so i'm excited about that i really wasn't sure what the season would look like for me like i said uh and it's even more exciting because i get to cover a insanely talented team that's also happens to be a great group of human beings so it's you kind of just get to like run on how great last year was and some other exciting factors thrown in there like it's oh it's it's good top to bottom i'm really excited i'm really looking forward to it i i can't wait i love having the early game too because you get to go and get rolling and uh hey who doesn't want to start their day being surrounded by thousands of children also screaming that uh huge huge positive for for me definitely um the face the face you're making and the words you're saying do not align uh, they, seem contradictory. Don't, they don't know that um so there it is. We can it. we can hear it in your voice too. I'm sure everybody listening right now knows exactly what's happening. Hey, actually, we have new headsets this year, so that helps. That helps. Uh, <clears throat> Andy, how excited are you for your uh, Kansas Jayhawks to return to the court for the first time since they cut down the nets and won the national championship? Oh, it's fantastic. Well, it's the first official game. The exhibition um, brought a lot of excitement and about the potential of one Grady Dick, who is absolutely phenomenal and is doing is expected to crack the starting lineup for the first game. Um, it will be a little weird watching a game without Bill Self on the sideline. Um, but, you know, it is one. It, it is what it is. Like there's only one game that he's going to be gone for that will be a difficult game for the Jayhawks. Um, I, I do think the Kansas is going to be absolutely fine, and it's going to be so much fun to watch them again at Allen Fieldhouse um, kicking off officially their title defense. The uh, the dick jokes on uh, Twitter are already oh gosh a lot there there that's not it that's and and this is not an earmuff moment. We're talking about Grady Dick. Yes, we're referencing the name, folks. If you think we're saying about something else, that's a you problem, not an us. But the jokes after one exhibition game. There were up, there were a plenty, 
and uh, they will continue. And they will to, be every uh, single game from now on. Like they'll, con- they'll continue to pop out and show up where you least expect and, and least hope that they will on a regular basis. Every they time will have a very long on. shelf life. Long pause for dramatic reasons. All right. Uh, I know we should be talking basketball more, and we will as we get further into the season. We got some plans for January that I'm excited about. Uh, but we do. football pays kind of. Clue me in on those after. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk off air um, <clears throat> and, and start working on those plans. I have one plan. Plural was probably a bit generous. Uh, we'll talk more about basketball. But in the meantime, Midwest Madness podcast back up and running with our good friend, Robbie Triano, he has taken over the show. He's doing a fantastic job. He's already got two episodes out. There should be a third one dropping uh, today, this Monday as well. Uh, so go give it a listen. He is doing a great job already. We're thrilled about him. So Midwest Madness Podcast, available everywhere podcasts can be found. Everywhere that they're sold. And I, I got these allergies out of the way. The whole house is just like hack, cough, hack, hack, cough, cough. When you got a three-year-old who just sounds like she's about to hack up a just a loogie that's been sitting deep in her lungs, you feel a little bit bad. And yeah, it's it's really unpleasant, like orally, and it's unpleasant for like my my heart because I, I hate it for her. And hopefully this will all go away. But that's not what you're all here to listen to is me talk about my three children. Although I'm sure they'll come up in reference as they do every episode. Uh, let's just get to let's get to recapping this weekend. It was a busy weekend. There's a lots to talk about. Let's kick it off with the uh, TCU Horned Frogs. I think that's where we're going to start. No, I'm not delaying Kansas. I just have a very specific <coughs> order set, Andy. You'll get your time. Well, no, no. It, it was the first game of the day, so we should talk about it first. That's the first one I have notes for because it was the first one of the day. Exactly. Well. Funny how that works. Uh, TCU knocked off Texas Tech, remained undefeated 9-0 for the first time since 2010. And a, and a closer game than I think TCU fans expected. Uh, I believe losing Quentin Johnson on that first drive obviously hurt TCU's offense. Took him a little while. To adjust, they didn't score an offensive touchdown until the second half of that game. That touchdown in the first half, of course, was a uh, a special teams touchdown. Here's the interesting trend for TCU: they outscored Tech twenty-one to seven in the fourth quarter, put this game away. Once they were up double di- uh, double digits, I kind of felt like it was was done. TCU had control as they always do. TCU continues to win the second half and fourth quarters. Horn Frogs have outscored opponents sixty-two to twenty-eight in the fourth quarter in Big Twelve play. As I said, twenty-one to seven in this one continues to be something for them. Uh, I don't really want to harp on it, but it is something we should point out. This is another game where the starting quarterback of the opposing team is either injured coming into it or gets knocked out in the game. This is not a TCU's dirty thing. If that's where you're going with that, you're an idiot, but that's you. Uh, It is something to point out to say TCU is good. Luck happens. TCU has avoided big injuries so far this year and seem to be able to face off quarterbacks who have had to leave the field and have a backup come in often. They didn't against JT Daniels. They beat West Virginia, but it's just a reality. It, it is something. It doesn't mean TCU's not good and we don't like TCU. I feel confident right now that TCU is still going to be in Arlington at the end of this regular season in December. Now, we'll talk about Tech in a second. There's one note of interest I want to talk about. They are not technically locked into the Big 12 championship game as of yet because they still have Texas and they still have Baylor on the schedule. And wouldn't you know it, if Texas and Baylor were both to win out the rest of the way due to tiebreakers, they would both be the teams in Arlington. 
That would be Texas and Baylor. If those two teams went out, that is three games. It's a lot to ask. Obviously, Baylor has TCU, Texas, and Kansas. Well, they can't. Oh, what am I talking about? I forgot. Baylor and Texas play. They both can't win out. So this is perfect. So Thank that's not going to happen. TCU's going to Arlington. Can we just, <laughs> Wait a minute. Can we all just say. <laughs> Way to go, Philip. You know how hard it is to try and remember tiebreaker scenarios oh, when there's. No, I see four, five teams at like I would say, six I was and three in. in conference. I'm, I'm more, I'm more looking forward to the absolute cluster that's going to be the second place in the oh, conference yeah. when, you know, somehow we magically get where we have five teams that are tied for that second place. <laughs> it's gonna be ridiculous. Oh, we chaos. we can have five teams tied at six and three in the conference if a bunch of results happen a certain way, which would be absolutely ridiculous to think about. Texas is four and two. Baylor is four and two. Kansas State's four and two. Uh, Texas had the tiebreaker over Kansas State. TCU six and zero. Oh. Baylor plays TCU, Texas, and Kansas State to end the season. Uh, Texas TCU this weekend. Obviously, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. I, I guess I'm wrong. I, I guess it means you can only have four teams tie at six and three. Then. Dang it. Uh, let's see. OSU could because, get to six because and three. OSU wow. could get to six and three. Kansas could technically get to six and three, but that would require them beating Texas and Kansas State. I've had. Missed the fact that Baylor played Kansas State. So that is the one that upsets it and makes it so that you can't have five teams at six and three, only four. Look, chaos is still. It's still going to be very much chaotic. It's just not going to be quite as chaotic as I was hoping for. I mean, look, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, Props to TCU on a, on a, again, having to come back from being down. I know the committee isn't, seems to frown on that, but it is a reality and they should deserve credit for doing it. Every time they get down for coming back, fighting back, clawing back, playing as well in the second halves, both offensively and defensively, as they continue to do. Philip, we we also we also have to have to give you props for correctly predicting in our January uh, show that uh, we would have a brand new team make it to the Big Twelve Championship game this season. Uh, you had said it was going to be either K State, TCU, or Texas Tech because you didn't give Kansas no. a shot. No, no, I didn't say TCU because TCU's been there. TCU was there the first year. They do not count. Wait a minute. Oh, West first, Virginia was the other one. Never mind. Okay. Scratch that. The, Sorry. No props. Kansas. Kansas, no props Kansas State. Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, and West Virginia are the four teams who have not yet. Made. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I had mixed up TCU and West Virginia for that particular stat. So, sorry, Philip. Never mind. No props to you. Weird teams to miss up. Weird teams to miss up. Uh, uh, one note I want to point out on Texas Tech. Uh, there is no more aggressive fourth down team in the country than Texas Tech. And uh, when you live by the, f- I'm sorry, fourth down team, pardon me. If you live by the four, you die by the four. On the Frogs' mm. first nine possessions, and shouts to Frogs today because they shared this one. I thought it was interesting. On the Frogs' first nine possessions, their best starting f- field position was their own 31-yard line. They averaged starting at their own 18. As the Red Raiders took late risks late in the game and attempted multiple fourth downs, the story changed. On TCU's final four drives, the worst starting field position was the Tech 45-yard line. Texas Tech, again, if you live by the four, you die by the four. If you're going to go for it on fourth down and do so aggressively, which is fine, but if you continue to do it on your side of the field and give an offense like TCU short field late in a game, where we have seen TCU be very, very effective on offense when they have to be, you're going to put yourself in a bad spot. And I, look, I'm all for going on fourth on fourth down. I think it's been great for Baylor. I think it's been very effective for Texas Tech. It makes Texas Tech an agent of chaos in the Big 12. But this is a game where it costs them. And so 
when you lean too heavily into analytics and you're just like, we're just going to go for it. Like, it can come back to bite you. And I get it, Texas Tech, they wanted to be aggressive on the road and try and get that win. But I think this is a situation where if you're going to go for it, you better make sure you can you can execute and make it happen. Because if not, especially against a good team on their home field late in the game, when they're starting to get things rolling, it's going to come back to bite you. So, interesting note for Texas Tech there. I still think like they, again, Asian Chaos, 4-5 and five overall. Three games left to get to bowl eligibility or three chances with Kansas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma all on the schedule left. They must win two of those three if they're going to go bowling in year one of Joey McGuire. I don't know how I feel about them doing that. Um, that's, a, that's not in, again, to the Big 12. There are no weeks off. It's not the easiest final three games to have to do that with. I think they might, but we'll see. As for TCU, again, I think they're going to make it to Arlington. I'm very excited <clears> to see if they do. I feel pretty confident about that. I'm still just a question of who are they going to face. Well, I was say, I think we, awake. I, I think we just figured out, though, that they will be in Arlington. It's just a matter of who they face. But, yes. Um, I, I mean, TCU, you know, I, I actually said this in my in my power rankings that I had over on Blue Wings Rising that, you know, TCU is that team. Like, every year there is a team that is really good but also really lucky. Um, and that's that's TCU this year. Like, we saw that last year with Baylor and, and Oklahoma State both getting, you know, very fortunate in in one-score games, like being very good that way. Uh, sorry, my cat just knocked a whole bunch of stuff down. Uh, <laughs> that's what all that noise was in the background. But no, um, so, you know, it is definitely one of those things where TCU has benefited from a lot of injury luck, a lot of, you know, winning close games. But like you said, Philip, they are a very good team. And Texas Tech, like this is a probably kind of a similar situation to the Jayhawks, right? Where this is a a season where you are outperforming what those expectations were coming into the year. And it has to make you feel good about the directions the program is taking. Sure, Texas Tech would have liked to have win some of these, you know, games where they had a good shot, where they were pretty close. But you know, you have to feel good about what they've done this year. And it looks like they have a real quarterback in Baron Morton. He's a young guy who, you know, made made some mistakes uh, against Baylor last week, but seemed to be playing okay against TCU. Un- unfortunate that he got injured. But, you know, this is one of those things you have to be feeling really good if you're a Texas Tech fan looking forward at, into next season, especially. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I kind of tend to forget what – Texas Tech accomplished early in the season because they've had a tough little stretch here, um, you know. But a, a lot of it has to do with playing a lot of good teams. It's it's the Big Twelve, but uh, to to do what they did early on, you win two overtime game. Like take the opponent out of the equation, as far as I'm concerned. Like winning multiple overtime games is huge. You took down Texas early. And then you go out there and you're still winning games. Like, I mean, pounded West Virginia into the ground a couple weeks ago. You're sticking close with TCU. Like, it's it's certainly impressive. And I think that teams that lean really, really heavily into analytics are are interesting because you you know what the expected outcome, like that's what the analytics are for. But some uh some some teams are lucky and and so they get that or they get more and some te- you you just have like a luck factor you have an execution factor that can't always be accounted for but uh I, I think that some of the things they've been doing are 
kind of funky. You know, going for it a lot is is an interesting way of doing things, but it's an exciting way of doing things. And I think it's something that could certainly have success for them going forward as they continue to develop their program in the direction that they're going. And you just, the longer a coach is around, the more they can really foster what it is they want to do. But it's, huh, it's, it's really interesting to me what what's going on over there like it's it's not really an incredible season one way or the other this year but I think there's a lot of really positive things to look at and I think a lot of tech fans I see seem to be pleased in some ways you always want to improve in others but it's it's pretty dang good opening season in a really freaking tough tough conference it'd be really easy to have a bad bad season this year Especially Believe me, I know how easy it is <laughs> to have a bad season in the Big 12. For Tech, look, you're one for Joe McGuire. I agree on Morton. I think the ceiling is high for him. I like him. Um, if they could keep a quarterback healthy, I, it, I think it's been forever since they made it through a season on at least just their first two quarterbacks. I mean, they've been up third string for a few years. Here's the other thing for Tech I'll note. Set the fourth down stuff aside. Three of their losses this season have involved four or more turnovers on their part. It's not a good thing. But when you look at that, if you could fix those problems, you lost to NC State by 13, you had four turnovers. You lost to Kansas State by nine, you had four turnovers. You lost to Baylor by a lot, which had five turnovers. And so if you could rein that kind of stuff in, Again, this is why we say they're an agent of chaos. They're not a bad team. They're just a bad team. They're just a good team that makes some some really bad mistakes. And so we'll continue to see what how this progresses. If they can keep one quarterback on the on the field for the season, that would be beneficial. My goodness, she is angry. She'll go back to sleep. It's fine. It's, it's, it stinks to listen to, but she'd be all right. Until my wife texts and says, go pat her, in which I will in just a few minutes. Um... Obviously, tough game for Texas Tech. Great game for TCU. Uh, game day, as we now know, is headed to Texas TCU. Um, and that's fine. They're going back to Austin for a second time. No shocker there. It, they are ESPN game day. Of course, they're going to do something like head to Austin for Texas TCU, which at least they're going for a second TCU game. That's exciting. Wish they had gone to a different game. And props to late kick, Josh Pate. They've announced which game they're going to this week. They're going down to Nolens, which is where game day probably should have gone, for UCF-Tulane, another ranked-on-rate matchup that's going to be a huge game. And obviously in the Big 12, UCF, an incoming team, their season started a little bit shaky early, but things are really turning around. Beat Cincinnati last week. Now they beat Memphis. Now they're going to New Orleans, and they're going to face off against a Tulane team that's sitting in a really good spot to not only win the AAC, make it to the title game, potentially get a New Year's Six bid if they're able to win out. And, of course, is the Tulane team, Big 12 connection, not just playing future Big 12 members, but knocked off Kansas State in the non-conference. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking UCF. And, uh, look, we do our best that we can to cover the four incomings. Uh, we don't always do a great job. There's a lot of football for us to try to watch. And, again, I have three kids. I'll keep referencing that. I don't care. Uh, so we thought we'd have a little help. And, and who better to go to than our UCF podcast, Sons of UCF, one of the uh, fantastic hosts, Adam, joining us now. Adam, welcome, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Looking forward to talking some uh, some UCF football with the Big 12 crowd. It's good to be intermingled with uh, with you all again. It's like I keep saying, we're basically married. We just haven't officially walked down the aisle yet, so we might as well just you know act like we're all family. All right, Adam, uh, UCF 
get a nice win over Memphis. A lot of points put up. That's okay. Uh, for everyone who hasn't really had a chance to watch it, is going to be interested in this UCF Tulane game. Just tell us a little bit and as as quick as you can. Just kind of the UCF season. What where are we at now, and kind of where have we come from? Yeah, really, the season can be summed up in in, uh, in one player, John Rice Plumley. Uh, he was named starting quarterback uh, from the beginning of the season. Hadn't played quarterback in two years. A converted receiver who transferred from Ole Miss. And as Plumley goes, the UCF has gone. Uh, he is your ultimate boom or bust player. When he is on, he is on. Reference to 70 points we scored against Temple. And when he is off, he is off. Reference to 13 points we scored against ECU. So that's really been the, the tale of the season. The offensive side of the football has really gone as John Rice Plumley has gone. He's not a prolific thrower of the football, but he's a fantastic athlete. So I think the offense has tried to adjust a little bit. Defense has been solid. Ben, don't break. Um, a couple of snafus here and there, but the defense has been solid. Um, one of the top in the nation in, uh, in preventing red zone scoring. But ultimately, it's been the John Plumlee experiment that, uh, that has kind of led UCF. When he's on, he's on. Uh, but when he's struggling, this offense really kind of putters along. And, and you've seen that a few games this year so far. Yeah, it's it's been a you know, we do our pick show on Thursday, and and UCF has kind of been a a hard team to put our finger on each week. Though I can say definitely say the same thing for for Houston uh, as well. The defense has been fairly solid. Now, obviously, twenty eight points to Memphis this week. Uh, you know, the thirty four they put lost gave up against ECU. Although there were some some turnovers in the game that that helped that. I mean. This does feel like a team that is led by its defense and, and a pretty solid one. What, what can you tell us about, about the UCF defense this year? Yeah, the, two, two different defenses, honestly. They're, they're a much better defense home versus road, right? The games you're referencing uh, against DCU, against Memphis, uh, even against FAU earlier in the year. Our defense on the road seems to be a little bit softer. Uh, again, a little bend, don't break uh, from that standpoint. Uh, we don't get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. Travis Williams, the defense coordinator, likes to a lot particularly third down outside of that we don't get a lot of natural pressure on the quarterback we have not also turned the uh, turned other teams over very much either we had two against memphis one was a really lucky bouncing ball interception another was an overthrow uh ucf went three games with a minus seven turnover ratio uh so we don't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback uh we're not we're not forcing a lot of turnovers but again we're we're good on third down they're solid in space making tackles our corners have been exposed at times which is interesting um you know we have this tendency to not turn around and look for the ball which is like the most frustrating thing that ever happened to any college football fan ever because uh, you're yelling at your tv just turn around the ball's coming and they they refuse to do so sometimes uh but it's definitely been one of those like ben don't break defenses between the tw- uh, from the 20 to, to the end zone they've been tough between the 20s they'll give up a bunch of yards uh, and, and they'll give up some plays but typically once you get into the red zone that's when they've kind of been stingier uh and and but on the road it, it's been a different defense i'm really curious to see what the defense looks like against tulane you reference obviously giving up a bunch of points to memphis uh we are a completely different team on the road gus Malzon, fun stat two and six on the road outside of the state of florida in his time at ucf uh one against temple in, in 2021 and this one against memphis so the road has not been ucf's f- favorite uh, place to be in the last couple seasons now, obviously this game in new orleans huge huge game tulane eight and one their only loss is a non-conference loss to southern miss uh, that week after the the win over kansas state they're five and oh in conference play with ucf knocking off cincinnati uh two weeks ago giving themselves the tiebreaker for Cincinnati. They're tied at 4-1. and one. Their loss is to ECU, who feels a little bit out of it. I mean, a win on the road at Tulane, I don't like to – you never like to be like, look what's left, nothing. Uh, obviously, Navy and then a road game at, at USF, which could be the last one in that rivalry series for a while once UCF joins the Big 12, unless the two teams decide to uh, schedule some out-of-conference games. I mean, 
it's hard not to look at that and say, okay, a, a not very good Navy team at home, a USF team that's quite bad on the road, if they could find a way to go down to New Orleans and, and knock off Tulane, I mean, you'd have to feel good as a UCF fan about getting to that AAC title game. But I mean, this is a big test. This is a very good Tulane team. We talk about defenses. This is, I would argue, this might be the best defense in the AAC this year. Obviously, it's an exciting game. It's a big game for UCF fans. It's one that's going to be very stressful. But what kind of, where do you see UCF and how it matches up with Tulane that, that would give UCF a chance to win this weekend? Well, here's what's going to be interesting. So um, against Cincinnati, John Rice probably goes out with a concussion in the second quarter. Mikey Keene comes comes in off the bench and leads, obviously, to a win against Cincinnati. For those not familiar with uh, the 2021 season, Mikey Keene came in after Dylan Gabriel got injured and then opted out for the rest of the season. Mikey Keene essentially was a starting quarterback for 21, loses the job going into 22 to Plumlee, doesn't play a single down up until he trots in the field in the second quarter after a concussion. Uh, and the, and that that offense in the second half um, was was clicking a little bit differently than than uh, than when Plumlee was there. He then Mikey Keene starts against Memphis, and again you see the offense clicking a little bit. So the the big question now is who's going to be the quarterback? Is there a controversy? Again, Plumlee is an exciting player. The, the way I've described it to people is is um, you know UCF likes to have John Rice Plumlee be a playmaker. He is a playmaker on the field. Mikey Keene's job is to get the ball to playmakers. And I think that's a huge difference in terms of what you have to prepare for if you're Tulane. I assume Gus is going to do the coach thing and not tell you who's going to start. So you have to prepare for both. But they're two completely different offenses, right? So if, if you know, if you saw it against Memphis, uh, you know, Keene had an opportunity. It was like third and 10. He had like 35 yards in front of him and didn't run. I mean, Plumlee just pulls that ball and runs all day. So I think that'll be interesting to figure out how does Tulane, you know, prepare care for either quarterback um, and and what what their strategy will look like. Keene is going to throw the ball. He's more accurate than Plumlee. He's got a better arm than Plumlee, better decision-making than Plumlee. But again, Plumlee is the athlete. So you, you almost have to have two different defenses kind of dialed up. So I think UCF maybe holds a little bit of the what are we going to do advantage uh, from that standpoint. But look, you said it. UCF and we recognize that, that, you know, just like we all thought at the beginning of the year, by the way, Philip, it'd be UCF and Tulane. This game would be the biggest game on the calendar, right? Just like we all said going into the season, right? Um, but everything UCF needs is right in front of them. They control their own destiny. And at this late in the, in the season, any college football team that can say they control their own destiny is at an advantage, right, than anybody else. So if you Tulane team, obviously you have Navy team at home, a USF team that just fired their coach about two and a half hours ago. So who knows what they're going to end up being from, from that standpoint. So UCF controls their own destiny. Uh, and this is one that every year, and, and again, every every team out there, you do the math about, well, if this team wins and this team beats this team, and we all make sort of that deal with uh, whoever we make deals with to try to pull something out. UCF has their 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 entire season in front of them. Um, same thing was true against Cincinnati. They came out with a win. Same thing was true against Memphis. So sort of 2-0 and with that with that option in front of them. We'll see how they respond. But, again, it's going to be a tough one down in New Orleans. Look, look, if you didn't have the UCF two-lane game as the game of the year in the AAC, are you really an AAC fan? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, yeah, you're just not following along is clearly what it is. Exactly. Come on. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I know I had it circled on my yeah. schedule for sure. Well, I know you, oh, I know of you course, of I know course. You, uh, the yeah, exactly. In the 10 12 network. I know you three all had this one year mark for, for months now. Yeah, yeah. What? UCF Cincinnati? Yeah, that one's fine. Yeah, UCF Tulane? That's it. That's, yeah. the, that's the game. That's well, I mean, I will say, though, I was definitely intrigued by what Tulane was going to do in the American after they beat Kansas State because it was a question of, you know, were they making Kansas State do things? you know, poorly or was Kansas State mm -hmm. shooting themselves in the foot? And it looks a lot more like Tulane just played really well because they are a really good team. And UCF has definitely come on, um, you know, in this back half of the schedule so far. So I'm really excited about this game. I 
was very vocal about the fact that I think that college game day should have come down to New Orleans for this game as well, because we've already been to Austin once this year. Look, I mean, great that they're going to a Big 12 game, but I think this was probably the better game, much like we have seen game day make some very questionable decisions throughout the entire season of where they're actually going. They've done some really great ones, but they they definitely can uh, get a little bit better in that department. Yeah, well, obviously right. UCF Perhaps. was disappointed too. I mean, we, we felt like we had a good chance to, to at least get back on that national <laughs> stage, and that's something UCF has been you know clamoring for for a while. There was talk that game day would come to Orlando for Cincinnati. Obviously, UCF loses to ECU, so that kind of takes the shine off that one. So uh, UCF kind of feels like two of the last three weeks they were right there for a game day, and it gets kind of pulled at the, at the last minute. So um, I agree with you. That would have been great to see them. Um, you know, give some love to the American Conference. Um, there's supposed to be a, even a couple games a year that ABC has to put on um, – uh, on from the AAC on the big network uh, folks thought this might be one of them that's not there either so maybe TV executives know something we don't know I highly doubt it though but it's possible who knows uh, this game will be 2.30 on ESPN 2 on Saturday ESPN 2 and this is too good a game yes. to be relegated to that but that's fine it's fine you're joining the big 12 get ready to uh, be really irritated by being uh, mistreatment from ESPN <laughs> and, and Fox get ready for lots of FS1 if you think ESPN two is bad, just wait till you get to have, play on FS one. Uh, Listen, we we we've had to play in the, we've had to play in the CBS Sports Network. I I will take FS one all day long. I think Houston SMU was on. Uh, was that the NFL Network this weekend? If I recall correctly, so I mean it could obviously be way 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 worse. Uh, and someone somebody probably just scored again in that game actually because I think they put up like four hundred <laughs> points in that game. I believe that's accurate. Yeah, I think they're still scoring. Uh, Adam, I'll wrap with this before we let you go. How has this uh, AAC goodbye tour kind of been? Is it is there a little bit of like, I don't know, sentimentality or it's a little bit of like, you know, we'll miss you guys a little bit while we're gone or is it all just like, ha, see ya, eat our smoke? Yeah, it's interesting. We've uh, on our show each week. We've uh, we usually preview the upcoming game with uh, with one of the writers or somebody who covers the team. And there has been a bit of the nostalgia about as we played. Uh, you know, ECU. We talk about some of the legendary games. As we play Cincinnati, you think about some of the games we've had. Same thing with Memphis. We've had some really interesting games with Memphis. Obviously, you mentioned uh, the, the last game against South Florida, uh, a rivalry there. So there has been a little bit of, of of sentiment around you know some of these teams and and you know some of the places we've been and and uh, you know what we've been through. Um, there are some teams, i.e. Tulsa, we're not going to miss, but a lot of the teams that we've we've talked th- through over the last couple of weeks, there's a bit of nostalgia there because there's such a such a history, uh, a lot of big games there, um, and and some of them, frankly, I mean, again, we're we're okay to leave behind, but we're, I mean, I'm going to miss Memphis. I mean, Memphis was always a little fun, cool rivalry with UCF, even though we kind of dominated it. Uh, the last couple of years have been really close games. Uh, ECU, it's always crazy things happen in Greenville. Uh, and, and so UCF's had a history there. So there will be some schools, I think, that we miss. Uh, but I know people are really excited about going to Lubbock. So I think uh, I, I think all's well that will end well for us. The slander begins. Yeah. Oh, my. my, my I would say I, I don't or I didn't detect any sarcasm yeah, at all. In that last statement. Delightful. Yeah. Time of year, yeah. <laughs> oh, Dustin's holding candles to Ames. <laughs> All right, Adam, appreciate it. Uh, always a good time having you guys on. Uh, for everybody who isn't yet, make sure you are subscribed to the Sons of UCF. That podcast is available everywhere. Obviously, the UCF show of the big or the ten twelve network. I almost said Big Twelve. Hee <laughs> uh, Of course, you guys have a oh, this whiskey's kicking in. Uh, you guys have a YouTube show that you do live every Thursday. It's a fantastic job uh, that you guys do there. Check it out on YouTube as well. Adam, appreciate it, man. Thanks all. Have a good night. 
I love, I want to do a little bit more of this, of getting guests from other shows on. And I've been trying to, like, all season, and then it's like, now, eh, the show's too full. And so I, I almost have to be like, I want to talk UCF, and which means we might not talk as much Baylor, Oklahoma tonight. And you know what? I'm okay oh. with that. I mean, from the oh, OU side, man. like, look, I like our OU listeners because somehow we got, like, some of the few not obnoxious i feel like the OU obnoxious OU fans go listen to other things and the nice OU fans are kind to us and i don't think they really want to rehash that loss i i did not we were gonna have our our friends from uh scott and holman the houston podcast on tonight uh but after that game i think they did score again uh i thought i would let them not have to talk about that game twice for those who missed it uh, the final score is 77 SMU 77, Houston 63. Teams combined for 140 points. Most in an FBS regulation game in the AP poll era, a.k.a. since 1936. No overtime, all regulation. Uh, Combined for 1,352 yards of offense. That's not even like old Big 12. That's like how people like to think the old Big 12 was. Like that's, that's no defense when it's just... 77 to 63. How do you feel as a Houston fan? And I, we have some really good Houston fans who listen to the show, and I appreciate all of you. You're awesome. I just, just like fast forward for like one minute and we'll be done. How do you feel scoring 63 points and still losing by two touchdowns? Think about that for a second. You score 63. If I told you, you're, I, Jamie, if I told you Iowa State was going to score 63 points in a game and not, not be basketball, it'd be football this season. Uh, <laughs> you'd think they would win, right? I think you would drink a lot more of that whiskey than I saw. <laughs> but no, but no, short to pours, your point, folks, short pours. to your point, like I would have thought that, you know, that would be a winning by like, we're either watching an all-time great offensive game, you know, like uh, Baker Mayfield versus uh, Patrick Mahomes, or we are watching um, a complete blowout where, or, you know, the team that got 63 points for one, something like 63 to 17, not 63 to 77 losing. Um, That's in just that game. like, that was just ridiculous. Heights I that I have not seen reached almost ever before in like a competitive football game, like you're saying, Andy. Like, that's just an absurd, like, that the, the pace, the pace alone. That's that's so many points. That's what 77 to 63 you got 35 points a quarter how scoring 63 and losing by 14 even a cliff kingsbury coach texas tech team would be like oof that's bad i wasn't gonna go there but <laughs> it's folks it's the whiskey this is why i don't drink while we podcast anymore. <laughs> okay um texas kansas state i know kansas state fans are not feeling good after that game. Cause let's be honest. Uh, that game was not as competitive as the final score indicates. Uh, let's just, let's just, let's just do this because I think Kansas state fans a lot are on social media. Adrian Martinez is back. He started in this game and, and, and the offense was very disappointing. Uh, I think there is an actual quarterback co- controversy from a fan perspective. I'm not sure how the coaches feel about it between Will Howard and how he looked against Oklahoma State and what he had to play against TCU before he got hurt and Adrian Martinez and how he looked this week. Now, I don't like making rash judgments off of somebody off of a one-week sample size. We've seen enough from Adrian Martinez to believe that Kansas State can go far with Adrian Martinez 
as a starting quarterback. And again, this is his first game back from multiple weeks off after getting injured. So you would expect he's probably going to look better this coming week against Baylor. But I'm curious from you guys' perspective, and this is a, we've got a quarterback controversy. We've, we've kind of seen a few of these this season for a couple different teams, but not for any of the contenders. For Kansas State, if you're Chris Kleiman, I'm going to put you both in Kleiman's shoes right now, or in his purple polo, or pullover. No, no, sorry. Pullovers are for, windbreakers are for uh, the old coach whose name Snyder. is Snyder. Uh, this is uh... <laughs> No, what it Jay, is that is a Kansas that is a Kansas Jayhawk whiskey, um, and so it's making you forget all of the Kansas State Wildcat you know facts that are in your brain. But no, um, not sponsor of the pod, but if Jay Riger would like to be, I'm happy to plug. <laughs> but no, um, I mean, well, this I think was the one I was most looking forward to talking about, not because like this isn't like a you know gloat about Kansas State, but this is a like this was the most intriguing game, right? Because. You look at, at the way that Martinez played, and I, I don't – like, yes, Texas has a good defense, but I don't think their defense is that good that they completely shut down Kansas State. This – like, you have to chalk some of that up to the rush of Martinez coming back from an injury. But what we saw was not that much different from what you typically see from a Martinez-led offense with Kansas State. <laughs> you know, it is a um, – the 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 way that they play – is completely different when they have Will Howard who opens up the offense a whole lot more than Martinez does. Martinez is a very specific style and it has worked well for them when they don't go up against a team that can stop his run heavy type of offense. Martinez is not a guy that's going to sling it all over the field. He's done it occasionally with mixed success. Um, But I I honestly think that when he is in as the quarterback, Kansas state is a lot more one dimensional until the running game starts punishing teams. And then they have to sell out on the run. And then the passing game opens up. They didn't get an opportunity to do that against Texas. You know, they weren't able to pound the ball and get that run game going really, really well. And I do do think at least part of that was because Bijan had an absolutely fantastic game here, made it difficult. I think for Kansas state to get into a rhythm offensively. And so the real question is, would that have looked any different with Howard? Would they have been doing anything differently? And I almost think that this is one of those cases where you probably should have let him try because of how good that offense had been. Now, you can talk about how, you know, he looked phenomenal against an Oklahoma State team that's completely beat up, um, and so that probably helped quite a bit. But, you know, when you look at this type of performance, I don't know that the offense is going to be dynamic enough under Adrian Martinez for them to be able to be, you know, running over teams the way that they need to be able to in the games that they have remaining. Yeah. That's the thing is like, whatever Martinez does well, it, there's not a lot of mystery to it. You know, like you're, you're not key defenses guessing all that much. Like you, you can, you can throw in some, some nice passing plays here and there, but you know, that, the biggest threat is going to be the ability to run the ball. And that, that can be successful for sure. But I don't know if it can be successful enough with, with what they have left. And I do think that there's something to the notion of seeing if Howard can continue what he had going for his, his little stretch there. And it, look, I'm usually one who's like, hey, go with 
what was working like don't shuffle back and forth it, it causes as much chaos as problems that it solves but when you're forced into a situation of having your back play and they do really well it's it's hard not to look at it as a what if game when your starter comes back and is good but maybe just not quite good enough and to Andy's point I don't know that it's all that different of a result if Howard's in the game but but there's definitely something to the idea of like why not maybe try well the other thing to keep in mind too is like the the offense under Martinez had been stalling against mm-hmm. you know Iowa State which has yeah yes a very very good defense but you know, there have been plenty of teams that have put up a decent amount of points against Iowa State. Um, when you have a, a offense that was as one-dimensional as it was under Martinez, Iowa State completely sold out on the run for the ma- vast majority of that game, and they were extremely successful. Against TCU, yes, you barely saw Martinez, but the plays that that really, you know, caused TCU to have problems and why Kansas State built up that big lead that they did was because of things that Will Howard did that I don't know that Martinez can do. Um, just because of the way that they play, things like that. Like it's 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 not the same situation of like when Jalen Daniels comes back for Kansas, right? Because him and Jason Bean are substantially similar types of quarterbacks. Jalen does certain things better than Bean does, and vice versa. But this is like two completely different styles of play. And when you have a, a change up in the style of play that works as spectacularly as it did, it's difficult, I think, to go back to a style of offense that Honestly, I think a lot of the teams in the conference have started to figure out how to how to counter it and how to at least make it so that they can't run all over you, assuming, of course, they have healthy personnel that can actually, you know, stack up against it. So I will be very interested to see what kind of changes they make going into this week. Baylor is a team that has a good enough defense that if they go in with a Martinez led offense that is, you know, extremely run heavy, Baylor can match them pound for pound in terms of that run game and can also, I think, kind of shut down what Martinez would want to try to do. So I will be very interested to see how they change against Baylor. I think that's going to give us a good indication about, you know, what they're going to do the rest of this season. But I, I, you know, I think if, if I'm a K-State fan, I, I think that if they start to have problems against Baylor and you don't see a quarterback change, it's going to be really hard to be, you know, as sold on, on them finishing the season out strong because Martinez you know, as great, as great as everybody thought he was going to be, you know exactly what you're getting when you have Martinez. And it seems like the Big 12 has started to figure out what that is. I'll say this. Obviously, Kansas State, much better second half performance. I've scored Texas 17 to 3. Um, Martinez played better. This is more a comment on Texas because I do think they have a controversy. They've got to try and figure out. Um, Texas's losses this season. Texas Tech. Outscored in the second half. Oklahoma State outscored in the second half. Kansas State on the road, able to overcome, to hang on and get the win. This is uh, Sarkeesian's just second road win as the head coach of the University of Texas. And they did enough in the second half, or I guess they did enough in the first half that when the second half scoring drought, just three points, came, they were able to do enough on defense to get the win. I'm not going to take from this win, and again, I, I, Texas did so much in the first half, they were able to hang on. 
which is why I don't think the final score makes it look as close as it was. But of note for Texas, I'm having a hard time going all in on them just because of this win. Kansas State's a good team. Martinez was coming off of the injury. They had a rough first half. They they finally were able to not blow it. And, and that kind of, for Texas, you built the big lead, that's awesome, and then you didn't blow it. I think that's a better way of describing the end of this game than giving Texas a ton of credit saying that they've turned a quarter. Maybe they have. Maybe this is exactly what they needed was to have a game where they all, you know, they, they can't do anything offensively in the second half, but the defense does enough and they get the win, and now it turns a corner for them. I don't know yet. Look, there's um, something to be said to be for not blowing it. Yes, there well, does. And, and to be fair, like just depends Kansas on your State, aspirations. Kansas State got as close as they did because of you know a player tipping a pass to his own teammate. You know that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't going to be super successful. And you know they almost had a chance to come back at the very end and tie it because of a fumble that Texas had two players go for at the same time and knock it out of bounds. Like there was plenty of opportunities for this to be a much more decisive victory for Texas, and they just had some really bad bounces the the issue i think to your point is it'd be different if this was a one-off thing they have blown so many leads in the fourth quarter that i came into that like i came into that fourth quarter thinking oh my gosh they have a double digit lead again going into the fourth quarter how are they going to blow it this time and they almost did so like it's it's a pattern I, I made the comment on twitter it's like wow they actually held on to a fourth quarter double digit lead for once like it was it was honestly a surprising thing so it's good that they actually did it, but now they need to be able to do it again, or they need to, you know, put themselves in a situation where it's not even a question anymore before people are really willing, I think, to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not all the way there. Um, they've got three tough games left, TCU at Kansas, and then I'm home for Baylor to end the season. Uh, and that Texas-Baylor game on that Friday of Thanksgiving weekend, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know what else is fun? Rocking home field apparel, which I did because I got the new Oklahoma State uh, homecoming throwback helmet t-shirt. Thanks, homecoming. Thank you, Whitney, from homecoming. It was from awesome. It was incredible. Am I saying homecoming? Yeah. Come oh, times. my God. I'm going to blame the the whiskey. That's, I think, a valid <laughs> blame. This is why I don't, I, you know, I used to, like, have a beer while we podcasted, and I haven't drank during a podcast in a very long time. Now we know why. Taking that back off with bourbon. It's probably not a good Sorry, idea. Not a, the best a decision idea. was made. A decision was made, and we're going to roll with it. Um, look, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you're aware of Homefield Apparel and how much we love them, and they are the longest-running sponsor here on the show and in the network. My OSU shirt was awesome. Every shirt from Homefield is awesome. If you don't have a Homefield shirt yet, most of the schools that they have apparel for, they've got a basketball shirt or hoodie or sweater or two available. And the basketball season, as we said, starts mm-hmm. today. So maybe you want to get a little home field magic for your team. They have every Big 12 team, current and future. Do yourself a favor. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Homefield, not homecoming. <laughs> homefield Apparel. I said it because it was the homecoming shirt, and then it threw me off because it said homecoming. And that, bourbon. That and bourbon, yeah. yeah. Well, rye. Sorry. No, it's a straight rye whiskey. That's a, there we go. Oh, oh, bourbon. That's you know what? I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope Ari's not listening. He'll be disappointed in me. You know, you uh, know what though? They even is, have. Oh, let's wrap. Let's wrap this. Let's wrap this. Let's wrap this. Well, oh, right. home field. Yeah, it was. It was gonna be a home field comment. They even have Please. a Kansas football shirt. 
So if you have not gotten your Kansas football shirt yet, now is the perfect opportunity to go do that. Promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, gets you 15% off your first purchase at Homefield Apparel. They've got more than 100 schools. They've got the core collection if you just want the shirts. They're incredibly comfortable. It's getting cold out. Get you a sweater. Get you a hoodie. They're awesome. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel on the face of the earth this college football, bowl, and college basketball season. I'm Sam, and I co-host the Scott Holm Podcast, the known universe's first Houston Cougar sports podcast. Every week, even during the offseason, my co-host Dustin and I come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs, and every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices, and as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well. If all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it if you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P-A-W-D cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing if not big dork so thank you and go Cougs boom Bosco's boys is here I think we all wanted it and the marriage is officially official I'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 network Bosco's boys the most consistent K-State podcast out there over four years with at least one episode a week, bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'm pumped to be here and I would love it if you guys came over to Bosco's Boys and gave us a listen because we are not Big J journos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans, and I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the 1012 Network. All right, let's, uh, let's kind of run through some of this stuff. Uh, congrats to Iowa State for getting their first conference win. Jamie, I'm, I'm sure that you and your brother were able to celebrate and talk about that a wee bit on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Oh, oh yeah. I went to the game. It was a good one. It was you were my there? last Saturday for a long time. Yes. Are, are you 2 and 0? Is I no. say 2 and 0 when you're there? No. No. Okay. How many games have you been to? All of them? I don't know. Not all how, of them. How, how much have you had to drink, Philip? <laughs> well, I knew that they went to the Iowa game. I didn't know how every I don't remember every game. All right. I didn't go to the Iowa game. No, she watched the Iowa game. I worked during the Iowa game, and yeah. it was the right. best. Yeah. Folks, it's time to it's time. To <laughs> no, no, we're not wrapping the show up yet because we have not talked about the most important game of the weekend. So, oh, that's right. Okay, uh, let me find my OSU tirade. Now, wait, wait. I, so, I mean, I I will say it was great to watch Iowa State get that win, and it was um, it was definitely more in doubt going into halftime than I thought it should have been based off of what yeah. I was seeing. Um, like West Virginia, I I know it's a huge buyout, but I don't know how they hold on or how they don't move on from neil brown at this point see that's we didn't talk about it on the show but eric and i talked about that at the actual game and he's like i think he i think he has to be gone like this week and i'm just like man if he hasn't been before now is this really the tipping point which it might be well 
but I think dear you Lord. watched that game and you can tell just the demeanor oh, on the sideline, everything what was going I on. Said. Like it just, oh, it, it looked like field. he was checked out. Not yeah. even on the sideline. When your players are all turning and gesticulating the way that they were after every play that went wrong, it was bad, bad, bad body language. Yeah, they he has completely lost the locker room from what we can tell on the field. Now, granted, it, it may not be actually the case that he lost the locker room, but everything you see on the field gives you that impression. And at this point, it's hard to imagine that they're going to hold on to him, even though it is going to be extremely expensive to get rid of him this year. Well, his post-game press conference was, that that's a man that's having a hard time. And look, it, it feels like a very, very, very long time ago since the 43-40 to 40 win over Baylor. They've been blown out twice since then. They were competitive against TCU. And so, look, that buyout is, at the end of the season, it's $16 million. And, and it's not a, it, it reduces, like, it, it reduces a little bitty bit every single day. He is owed, like, his entire contract. So whenever they fire him, however much is left on the contract, that's how much they're going to pay him. So it reduces every single day. It's not some, like, on this date, it reduces by a large chunk. You're going to pay him a ton. And so I, I would imagine... West Virginia is going to, and Shane Lyons is going to evaluate this team over the last three weeks. And, and really, I don't think they want to have to fire him. I don't think they want to have to figure out how to pony up 16 million to get rid of him and then bringing in a whole new and, and all of his coaching staff and bring in a new head coach, pay whatever buyout to get them out of their job, unless they're a coordinator they can go get and hire a whole bunch of new staff. I, I don't think West Virginia wants to have to do that. So my guess is it's more likely, and I could be wrong, like I, this episode could come out and, and an hour later he could be fired for all I know. I have, I just, I've leaned toward they'll keep him and then they'll continue to evaluate the season as it moves on. But if he has lost the locker room and I have no, I don't, I don't know that if he has, you've lost the fan base. If you lose the locker room too, then yeah, you're, you're in a spot where it will it will cost you more to retain him long term than it will to get rid of him now. Well, and, I, and and you know, coming or being a fan of a program that completely lost their fan base for the longest time, it is difficult to get them back. Like even at a place like Kansas, right? It was very difficult to get them back. You had to have a lot of success really quickly and wholesale changes all over the place for Kansas fans to be willing to come back and support that program. West Virginia, honestly, it feels to me like that would be a, like, like if you completely lose that fan base the same way that Kansas completely lost their fan base, it's going to be a lot harder, I think, to get them back um, in the way that you need to, to have that sort of success. So you don't want to lose your fan base. You don't want to get to a point where the fan base is completely checked out because apathy is the absolute worst thing you can get from your fan base. It's much better than the upset. Right. It's because that shows that they're still invested. It shows that they are still paying attention. And when you do get it right, they will be back there immediately. If you get to the apathetic way that Kansas fans were, you know, for the longest time, it took a lot for Kansas fans to be willing to come back and to start buying it again. Um, because you reach a point under that apathy where you're just like, doesn't matter how much success they're going to have. We know they're going to screw it up somehow. So why, why, why do we care yet at this point? So West Virginia cannot afford to get to that point. Um, regardless of whether they lost the locker room or not. And I, I like, I don't think they're at that point yet, but no, a, you know, a, a keep Neil Brown after a whole bunch of issues this year without a clear direction of what it's going to take for him to be gone. Like you don't keep him just to save that $16 million 
you know, or to, to not have to pay on top of that $16 million, there has to be some sort of clear direction for this West Virginia program going into next year if he's going to stick around. I would not call the fan base apathetic at all based off. Oh, no, no, no. Right, right. Yeah. And, I, I, no, I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying they are. Angry. I'm saying no, you no, no, want to make sure you, you get don't to get point. to that point. I, I think that takes more than one, like, truly bad season. And I know West Virginia fans aren't happy with the program under Neil Brown at this point, but I don't think they've it's been bad enough long enough to get fully apathetic. Um, we'll see. Yes, I, not an easy three-game stretch to end the season. Oklahoma at home, a team you've never beat since you joined the Big 12. Kansas State, and then a road game at Oklahoma State to the end of the year, which probably is your best chance to get a win the way OSU is playing. Uh, Baylor with a very, very important win over Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma loses again, put up a lot of points. Baylor looks like they have turned a corner, getting a 38-35 win in Norman. Baylor controls their destiny. Kansas State, TCU, and Texas. Kansas State and TCU both at home to end the season. Baylor controls the, their opportunity to get back to Arlington for a second straight year under Dave Aranda. So, big win for Baylor. I know we're not going to talk a lot about them. We should talk about them more. I intend to do so next week after the Baylor-Kansas State game. Um, and then, you know what? Maybe we'll try and bring on a Baylor guest We'll get Matt or Shahan or someone on just to talk Baylor. And I will I will invest a lot of time into that game. Maybe I won't have the kids. <laughs> Ooh, that might be next weekend. Ooh, I'm not sure I'm going to watch a lot of football, but I don't have the kids around. Um, <laughs> hit, hit, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, poke, poke. Cleaning the house? I'd do the same. Yeah. Uh, outlet mall. <laughs> outlet mall. Outlet shopping. You were trying to take three kids to an outlet mall? You were trying to take three kids shopping? Probably be easier to take yes, my cat. Yes, I have. It's bad. I would. I, I have a cat. I'd rather take the cat. I love my kids. I, I sound like I don't. Uh, okay, let's just. I, I'm. It's not even rip the bandaid off. Like I, I was watching and following most of this game from my phone at a three year old's birthday party on Saturday, and, and so not the worst thing. <laughs> Kansas. Going bowling for the first time through 2008, Jalen Daniels was reportedly available, but Kansas did not need him. Jason Bean had 203 and two through the air, another 93 and one on the ground. Devin Neal, 224 and one on 32 carries. Kansas is 351 rushing yards, 351 yards on the ground. They had their second most yards in a game this season at half. That is by far 351, the most they had in a game all year. Fifth most Oklahoma State has allowed in the Gundy era. Um, I will talk some Oklahoma State in a minute. Andy, first off, all, I as someone who likes the Big 12 and loves what's happening with Kansas, like I, I, I'll be honest, like I am, I know there's a lot of OSU fans like, how can we let them get a bowl game? And I'm like, no, no, I love that Kansas going bowling. This is amazing. This is awesome. I can't wait to see where they go bowling. The the, the, the field goal going in the lake, the raucous, like that fan base is so happy that I don't think most of them even care that basketball season starts today. They're too busy celebrating the fact that the football team is going to a bowl game. Well, it's, it's funny because right. Normally like that would be the talk, right? A Kansas team that is coming off the national championship, like is getting ready to get started. And that's what everybody would be worried about. Um, it's, it's hard to actually focus on the basketball season, knowing that the basketball season, like not saying that I'm not, you know, that I'm not covering it, that I'm not, you know, enjoying the fact that it's starting. But, you know, if I have to, if I had to pick right now, like if, if I could only talk about one or only follow one for right this moment, like until, you know, the end of the year, 
it probably would actually be the football team because it's a super compelling story. It's a, it's a type of success that we have not had in a really, really long time. It is fun to watch this team. They play an exciting brand of football. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, this is, this is what you dream about, right. As a Kansas fan, having a good team on basketball that you know is going to be a good team. And then having a football team that you can be happy about, not one that's, you know, absolutely horrible. Like, the fact that they made a bowl game with three games left to go on the season is absolutely spectacular. It gives them the opportunity, I think, to get to not just a bowl game, but to get to a good bowl game with, you know, the the potential of winning even just one or two more games the rest of this season. So, um, like, this is a situation that is great for this fan base. The fan base has been much more energized than I have seen in a really, really long time. Like, it's it's as good as it was back when I was in school you know, which was like right around like the, the Mangino year. So like, it's, it's crazy to think about the fact that I am, uh, that I actually graduated the year before the, the orange bowl. Um, and that was really the last time that the fan base was as engaged as they are as it stands right now. So, um, you know, but, but this game itself was just absolutely phenomenal to watch. It was, it was extremely enjoyable to watch the way that Kansas was able to get behind a guy in Jason Bean. I, I forget who it was that actually put out the, the the article talking about Jason Bean and kind of highlighting him. You know, he had started, I believe it was eight games um, in the last year and had lost all of them, um, including getting absolutely demolished by Oklahoma State, um, you know, last season. And to come back this year and to have that be the guy that started against an Oklahoma State team and have that type of performance to get them bowl eligible. It's just absolutely a huge individual personal story for being. And then a guy in Devin Neal, you know, the homegrown from Lawrence went to one of Lawrence high schools, like, you know, for him to stay home to, as Lance Leipold put it, to commit, to be a Jayhawk. He didn't commit for the coaching staff. He committed to the school, which is something that you don't typically see very often, you know, in today's college football world. And so for him to have that kind of success, to get this program back to where it is, is just absolutely the best kind of story that you can have, you know, a guy from the town that the school is in committing to the school and getting them back to a level of success that they haven't seen in a really, really long time. Um, it was just, it, it's a great story. It's, it's a ton of fun. Um, it's like storylines that you couldn't write. Sometimes. Right. Right. Like you that's know? like, that's like the movie storyline, like the movie yeah. script come to life. Um, yeah. It's, it's great to think about. It's great to, to be covering the team. And I'm going to have a ton of this over on the rock chalk pod as well. Um, we actually having to delay it until uh, we're, we're going to be recording on Tuesday due to scheduling issues, but we will have that recap episode and also talking about the basketball team. Cause you know, we, we are Kansas. We, we throw a little bit basketball. of that in there for good. Just measure, a little bit, know? but, but yeah. So, I mean, but this game, I think, I think the most impressive part about this game was with Kobe Bryant coming back and playing the way that he did on defense, you could just tell the demeanor of this defense was different. Um, you know, he got that first interception on the first Oklahoma State drive, and then pretty much Oklahoma State tried to go away from him the rest of the game, um, which made it so that, you know, there was a nice long, extra long pass uh, over on the left side, and Romello Dotson picked that one off. Kansas was able to feed off of the mistakes that Oklahoma State made, um, and then the offense was able to turn those into something, to take super long drives. They had a seven, you know, I, I'm sorry, an, an eight-minute drive coming out of halftime where they scored a touchdown and really kind of started to put the game away. Um, this was just a, a style and a brand of football that we have not seen at Kansas in a really, really long time. And they, they went from being 
a nice story and a team that was overachieving to a team that is legitimately a good team, not necessarily a great team, but a good team in this season. Um, so it's it's great to be able to talk about, uh, you know, Kansas being a good team again. Um, and, you know, it's kind of to the point, like you look at an Iowa State or West Virginia, the two teams that I think everybody agrees are at the bottom of the conference. They're still good teams. Like they're not, they're not good in relation to some of the great teams we have in the Big 12, but there's not a bad team at all in the entire conference. And for Kansas to be middle of the pack right now, in the conference is a just, just just a fantastic story. And and like Jamie said, you you couldn't write a movie script that was better. I mean, I, I know we're saying there's no bad teams in the conference. West Virginia might actually be bad. I know I've been trying to defend them for a while. Oklahoma State now might also actually be bad. Um, look, I was not overly negative after the Kansas State game, despite how that game went. Two games in a row where the defense seems to be continuing to get worse each week and the offense... Despite putting out a true freshman, I understand he threw, had three turnovers in the game. Actually, I think he had three picks and he had a fumble. or responsible for a fourth turnover. Point is this. Um, I'm not the only OSU fan saying it, but it's starting to have 2014 vibes. That was the year they started 5-1. and one, Lost five straight, and then thanks to Mason Rudolph and Tyreek Hill, won a miracle bedlam and went to a bowl game and Gundy's career was saved, and then ten, three straight 10-win seasons became a part of uh, But, man, something is wrong in Stillwater. And I can talk about injuries all day. That's fine. There are a lot of them. But this feels more than that. And I don't know if this is a... It's the, regress, the regression on the defense, which is the biggest concern. And I don't know if this is a... They're just not practicing enough. They don't have enough healthy bodies to practice the way they want to. And so instead of improving, they're getting worse at tackling, worse at wrapping people up. They're, they're just not where they need to be. But in some ways, it's they almost feel like they've been out-schemed and out-coached the last two weeks in a row as well. Like that, that defense has not played well. The run game has been bad all season. It's not getting any better. I, I don't well, know. And, and, and to that State. point, I, I can't even count the number of times that Kansas came out on a drive and within the first two or three plays of that drive – they had a an out route pass to Luke Grimm on the sideline for eight to 12 yards. And it happened time and time again that they just didn't seem to really be able to keep an eye on where Grimm was. And they went to that. Like he had he had seven catches. And you know, he he by far was targeted, I think, the most out of anybody on on Kansas and was routinely successful because it just seemed like there was nobody within three yards of him. Well, and and Devin Neal had runs where he ran through the line. I don't think there was somebody like three feet either either side of him when he ran through five feet, either side or, or the one play where he like did six spin moves in a row (laughs) to get another, you know, 20 yards down the field. I mean, yeah, it was bad. I'd be getting busy. The difference between this and 2014, the problem is 2014. Yeah, that was bad. It was, it completely fell apart in the back half of the schedule, but nobody had, Big 12 title game expectations in the first half of that season to see OSU go <clears throat> from as good as they looked the first half of the season, as well as they played and people talking about them being a big 12 title game favorite, though I was never all in on that, but to looking as bad as they have, these are two different teams. And again, injuries are a part of it. That's fine. You didn't have Spencer Sanders, but 
I don't think Spencer Sanders playing in this game against Kansas. That's not Spencer Sanders isn't going to stop Devin Neal for going for two hundred something yards on the ground. And Devin Neal's a good running back, but and no offense, but Kansas's offensive line looked uh, amazing, and it's a good offensive line. That's not a shot at the offensive line, but Oklahoma State's defensive line, which is supposed to be good and which has been good, made Kansas's offensive line look like it was just loaded down with blue chips. And so I don't know what's going on in Stillwater. Something is wrong. Something is broken on both sides of the ball. Um, right. As as good as Kansas' lo- offensive line has played, there is no game in this in this entire season where they should look like the Alabama offensive line. Like, and and that's I mean that's how good they look. Like, or or the Georgia offensive. Like, they looked like a top tier SEC offensive line in the game, um, which is not what they are at all. <laughs> OSU fans are feeling pretty down bad for good reason. I mean, you looked at the back half of the schedule and felt like you should the last four games shouldn't be too bad. Now you've got the best of defense in the Big 12 coming to Stillwater and a open as a one-point favorite in Iowa State. You've got to go to Norman in a year where OU's down bad, and suddenly you look worse, which is weird. And then you get to close out the season against a West Virginia team who who knows if their head coach is there or not, but would love to get a win. Maybe he could keep his job for one more year. Like I Look, I'm not one to, to, to get overly negatively dramatic. But there are enough OSU fans who are like, are we going to win, win another game this year? That are normally more of the optimistic or realistic and not the leaning towards negative. I don't know what's going on in Stillwater. Mike Gundy better figure it out quick. Uh, or this won't just go from a missed opportunity season. This this one, he's never had a losing season since we, year one. They're going to a bowl game. So the worst they're going to do in the regular season is 6-6. Six and six. But folks, there's, it's it's something's wrong. In Stillwater, and I, I don't, I can't put my finger on it, and nobody else seems to be able to either. But something's not right, and um, they're gonna have to do some real soul searching. If not in the season and time to save it, then definitely in this off season to figure some things out. All right, I think we kind of touched on everybody and everything we needed to touch on. Uh, BYU got a nice win over Boise State. Congratulations! Did not see that one coming. That's a, a good win for BYU. They needed it. Uh, before we do next week's games, real quick, you know what we uh, I've been forgetting to do for a few weeks is tracking our draft and how many points each of us have at this point in the year. Oh no, no, I I tracked it. Uh, we Andy we has don't 20- need to do that. Andy has twenty three. I have twenty two. Jamie has twenty one. So oh, it's better than I thought. Okay, we have ourselves a tight race heading into the end uh, of the season. Uh, none of us picked TCU. <laughs> Smart move by all of us. I know, fantastic. So it might be even more interesting because there's a very good chance that none of us picked one of the participants in the Big 12 title game, and obviously none of us have Tulane, so we might not have two of the potential four uh, conference championship teams that could be going there available to us so we'll keep track of that a little bit better all right let's and, end the show and, and who was it that got ucf because because i honestly don't remember um jamie so jamie is in the uh man J- jamie has a really good shot i think at uh at getting a ucf team to, to be the the mvp of her Come squad on, to let's take her to go yes like uh, i Andy said i've always points. stood by my decisions except when i don't uh, I said Andy's in the lead with 20 points. He has Baylor, BYU, Kansas, and Oklahoma State. Uh, Jamie has 21 with Houston, Kansas State, UCF, and West Virginia. And I have 22 
with Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Texas, and Iowa State. So we all picked some good teams. We all picked some not-so-great teams, and we all whiffed on TCU. So good job, us. Woot. Uh, All right. Let's look ahead to next week. We got a very nice slate coming up this weekend. Obviously, we have Texas and TCU in Austin. That one is a biggie. That is a biggie. That's a biggie. Baylor and Kansas State. Another one between two teams vying to make it to Arlington. We've got Oklahoma at West Virginia. One of West Virginia's last chances to beat Oklahoma before they leave. And it, it could be the last game in in in, uh, in Morgantown, depending upon how the schedule shakes out for the last two years of the Big 12 with all 14 teams. And this could be OU's last trip to Morgantown. West Virginia could do for a win like this. Oklahoma State, as we mentioned, hosting Iowa State. That one's 230 on ESPNU. And Kansas on the road at Texas Tech. Texas Tech, again, needs two more wins to get bowl eligible. Kansas playing with house money the rest of the season, folks. That's a that's a great feeling to have. Obviously, for the four incoming uh, big one, UCF on the road at Tulane. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a must watch. That is. Uh Friday, Cincinnati hosting East Carolina. Easy opportunity to watch a little Cincinnati. Houston on Saturday hosting Temple. That should be an absolute blowout. Temple is oh, it's not good. And if I remember correctly, and I'm going to pull it up right now, I'm pretty sure this is BYU's. Yeah, BYU's off this week. This is their idle week. It's week 11. They need the break, but I'm glad they're able to go to, into it with a win. All right, you know how this game works. You cannot pick your own team. Andy, which game are you most looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with BYU in the – no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stick in the actual Big 12. I mean – Obviously, TCU in Texas is going to be a quite the doozy, but I think I'm actually much more interested to see this Kansas State Baylor game. Um, like this is a game that one is going to tell us a ton about Kansas State and the way that they're going the rest of the year. Um, you know, this is a Baylor team that I think has gotten a lot better over the course of the season. That you know, it looked like they were going to be struggling, and it, it's weird to say too because I don't think that. I don't think that Blake Sheepin has gotten demonstrably better over the course of the season, but things have started to work out for Baylor. I think their their defense has started to play a lot better. And so this is going to be a, I think it's going to be two, two really good defenses going at each other in this particular game. And it's going to be which offense is actually able to play the style that they want to play. Um, I will be very interested to see. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a pick or anything on this one because I'll let you guys do that on your, on, you know, the, the picks episode on Thursday, but like, this is the one that I'm probably the most excited about because I think it's going to tell us the most about the rest of the race. TCU at this point is already for sure going to make it to, uh, to Arlington and look, Texas, like it's going to be great to see what they can actually do and how they're going to finish it out. But we all know they're going to lose to Kansas the next week anyway. So, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not going to Arlington. So. Jamie, I, I, I honestly feel the same way. Um, about most things, but uh, <laughs> less comments included. Uh, K State Baylor's is really interesting to me. TCU Texas should be pretty good, but I just I have questions about K State that I want to see resolve. Like I want to see what they do there. I'm more intrigued there than I am by basically any other storyline. And fair warning, this is my last week picking a football game. I have my one for next uh, week already. I checked. All right. All right. We'll we'll allow it. Um, 
I do think Kansas State Baylor is the right call because at this point in the season, it does feel like an elimination game for either team for Arlington. Like, again, crazy can happen, chaos can ensue, but tiebreakers are ma- matter. These are two teams vying to get there. This feels like an elimination game. The, the loser of this game is done. And now at that point, they can just play spoiler and hope that some absolute utter nonsense occurs to maybe give them a shot back at it. But I think the loser of this game is out, will not be in the Big 12 title game. So I think it has a has much bigger implications than TCU-Texas, where, look, TCU wins, Texas probably eliminated, but maybe not. It's just because of the way the tiebreaker stuff would work and because they have that Kansas State win and they still get to play Baylor, like, I don't think they're out of it. And if Texas beats TCU, like, we we might have the – we might know which teams are going. Like, if Texas beats TCU, it might just be a rematch of that game in a few weeks down in, in Arlington. Yeah, I know the faces. All right, look, I, I'm, I'd be all right with it because I, I, I don't think whoever wins this, if they meet again, will win the rematch. It just doesn't typically work that way. But I will go with UCF Tulane because, man, I'm I'm really intrigued by that one because, look, I am I am hoping for an AAC championship game that features two of the teams leaving the conference in Cincinnati and, and UCF, and that's the best chances right now is those two teams meeting there. It would sure be nice to watch them both be like, thanks for the trophy, we ain't returning it, bye, and then just bolt out to join the Big 12. How nice for the Big 12. And I know that's petty, and I'm sorry, I, I'm I, I don't dislike the AAC for any particular reason, but, you know, it would kind of stink if Tulane's like, hey, we, we beat all of you and the team that will be in the Big 12 already. <laughs> See ya, should have invited us, which I am not against inviting Tulane just so that New Orleans is a Big 12 city because you I all know saying, you I want to go down to New Tulane Orleans games. for a Big 12 uh, game. Come on. Uh, yeah. Invite Tulane just for the party. No other, like, well, we're not going to give you much money for them. That's fine. We don't care. We just want to go to Tulane once every two, three years. Because why not? Bless you, Jamie. Uh, this <laughs> uh, this has been the 1012 Podcast flagship show, the 1012 Network. You can go to 1012network.com and find most of the shows. Chris in the network links to them there. If I Yeah, Chris is supposed to update the site. It's his job that he is not paid to do but I've been begging him to do it for three weeks. Um, you can find links to every show there, except for Bosco's boys, our Kansas state show. You should be listening to it anyways. You should be listening to the rock chalk podcast. That is the show hosted by our good friend, Andy Mitz at Andy Mitz 12 on Twitter, rock chalk podcast. Go check it out. Cyclone family podcast. C F P not to be confused with the college football playoff is the show hosted by the magnanimous Jamie Steyer Johnson and her brother Eric Steyer. And that new episode will be out at the same time this one is because it drops every Monday. Go check it be out, honest, Jamie. The Cyclone Family Pod is the better CFP anyway. <laughs> oh, yes. you notice how little we talk about the CFP on this show, the uh, playoff one. Uh, and listen to me on Varsity app. Uh, yeah, download the Varsity app. You know, I tried to get them to be a sponsor on the show. Really? They. They, it didn't go anywhere. They don't know. They didn't like me. It's okay. They didn't say no. They just didn't say anything. Um, I lost the train of thought, which is not sure. There wasn't one. I had, to, I had to literally Sorry. walk away to go deal with a crying baby who wouldn't sleep and put a humidifier in her room. So, 
my wife gave me a dirty look for drinking whiskey because she doesn't know the bit that we are currently doing on the show tonight. Go to Home Field Apparel, not Homecoming Apparel, and uh, use Network 12 for 15% off your first purchase. This one's been long because we've been rambling. Thanks to Adam of Sons of UCF for hopping on the show. Can I name up any more shows in the network? Yep, tortillas and takes. And we'll talk to you on Thursday. Podcast Network.